Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. So I want you to look at Nehemiah's situation and what he's dealing with. This is Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. When word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. So the walls were nearly complete, but the huge gates, the huge doors that needed to be fitted hadn't yet been hung. So it would be like Larry and Leah's home, I guess, in Africa. Uh, The last thing they want to do is put stuff inside the home if you haven't got a front door on it. A front door means you know who comes and goes, adds a sense of security. You can monitor what's going on. For Nehemiah, the fact that the doors weren't on meant that everything was on ice. He couldn't really rebuild the city. So people couldn't move back into their homes. They couldn't go to school. Businesses couldn't start. They couldn't kickstart the spiritual life of the city because the doors weren't on yet. And so at this point in his journal, he's basically saying things are still like right on a knife edge. This is still an important part of the project. And it's at this important stage that his enemies, we're going to find, are trying to pull him off track and pull him off of his focus and his leadership in the mission that God has given him. And listen, our first thing I would notice from this passage is that leaders must fight distractions. All of you in this room are leading someone or something. It may be in church ministry, it might be a business, it might be at home. It may be that you're leading your family, or at the very least, you're trying to lead yourself. Whatever it is that you're leading, you need to know this, that that so many things will come at you trying to distract you from your life's purpose. You see, when God gives you a call, or a, a sense of destiny, or just a sort of intuitive sense of this is what my life is about, immediately there are going to be t- attempts to divert you and to get you onto something else. I mean, how many of you here struggle simply to get time with God in the mornings because of the distractions you face? Granted, the the distraction might be your comfortable bed, but for many of us, it's having young kids around or... Some people, it might be the temptation of doing housework. I can't imagine that, but that may exist. Perhaps some of you work at home, and so the thing is of like sticking the emails on and seeing what's going on. Some of you are students, and the temptation is to get up and start studying. No, that's pushing it. Um, But we've all got distractions that we face in life that can stop us from doing the most basic of all projects, which is our relationship with God. How many of you have got really important things that you want to do to be part of that you know God's called you to, but are just simply not happening right now? How many of us have unfinished projects or ideas lying around collecting dust? It is just so easy in life to be sidetracked, isn't it? You know, it takes tenacity to finish what we start because there's always so many competing distractions. And on a larger scale, the mission that God has given us here at Mosaic, we may miss out on if we take our eyes off the ball. 
So what Nehemiah is going to do is show us how to deal with distractions that divert us away from life's sort of God-given purpose and destiny. And there's three types of distractions that he faces. First, he's diverted from the mission. Second, he's faced with disgrace. And third, he falls victim to a deception. So they're the three types of um, distractions we may face. So number one is diversion. As we've seen, Nehemiah is close to finishing his task and he's asked by his enemies who've sort of been a continual thorn in his side to meet on the plain of Ono. So this is meant to be a simple meeting on neutral ground that I guess sounded like a potential way of moving a relationship that's disintegrated forward in some way. And so what they're trying to say is, look, Nehemiah, why don't you just come out uh, come out from the city, meet us in this place, we'll have a cup of tea, we'll have a nice chat, and we'll just talk about th- how things are going. You know, you're a Christian, you're meant to love your enemies, so this would be a good way for you to be obedient to God. Just come out and meet us. And it all sounds very innocuous and safe, but Nehemiah knows what's really going on. Verse 2, but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Nehemiah knows the first way to deal with distractions that divert your focus is simply to bat them away. Bat them away immediately. Now this is actually a lot harder than it sounds. Blaise Pascal, who was a philosopher, spoke about the issue of diversion. And when he says that some diversions are from Satan, from the devil, trying to get us to go out and do something really bad, really wicked, really awful, an evil thing that we know we shouldn't do, but by doing it, we distract ourselves from what God has called us to do. But he also says the most common thing that distracts us is where God has called us to do something and there are other things that are not bad things, but they're actually pretty good things, but they're lesser priorities that we get drawn to. And the point is simply that if Satan can make you sin, then that's pretty bad. But if he can't make you sin, he'll keep you busy. He'll keep you busy with things that are of lesser importance. If you're someone who struggles to get stuff done, it's usually down to the good things getting in the way. In a book, A Practical Guide to Prayer, Dorothy Haskins tells of a noted concert violinist who was asked the secret of her mastery of the instrument. And this is what she said. She said, there are many things that used to demand my time. When I went to my room after breakfast, I made my bed, I straightened the room, I dusted, I did whatever seemed necessary, and when I finished my work, I turned to my violin practice. That system prevented me from accomplishing what I should on the violin. So I reversed things. I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until my practice period was complete, and that program of planned neglect is the secret to my success. Friends, in a similar way, we have all been called to some amazing things. Um, Ones that we have to prioritize, otherwise we will be distracted from it. Some of you are called to influence education. 
Some of you, it's health. Some of it's politics. Some of it's uh, retail and service industries. Others of you feel called to change society by investing in the poor and the marginalised and the vulnerable. Others of you know the task before you right now has been a good dad or a good mum. Some of you here want to be an example of vibrant Christianity to your classmates. Others of you, it's just about opening up your home and showing vulnerability. Vulnerability, showing hospitality and reaching out to those that don't have faith. If we don't practice planned neglect of other things, even good things, then we will be distracted from God's best. And that's what Nehemiah does. He's involved in a great work and he's not going to forsake it for anything less. Personally, I'm called in this life to be a Christian first, then a husband then a father, and then a pastor. They're the four things that I'm called to be in that order. They're all good things. And getting them in the wrong order can be a huge diversion to the life God has called me to live. You know, so just speaking really practically, Saturdays is our family day. And so if I work too many Saturdays, or if I go away, perhaps speaking in another country or something like that, if I'm away for more than six or seven days, I know that it's absolutely rubbish for my family. And I'm mixing up my priorities when I push things too far. And what I love around Mosaic is that people here are hugely understanding of the demands on my life, but I'm a people pleaser. And the people pleaser in me wants to say yes to things I shouldn't. And so good things tend to divert me from the things that God has called me to. And my guess is you're pretty similar to me. Luke 10 tells the story of Martha and Mary. Jesus is at their house. Mary gives Jesus her undivided attention. While the tragedy of the story is that while Martha is striving tirelessly to serve Jesus, she misses seeing and knowing him and being at his feet. How are you doing, guys? Are you living the life God has called you to live? You know, I don't know what distractions you're facing, but probably the most common in society is as simple as screen time. Kids, on average, have five screens in their lives. An iPad, a TV, a games console, a phone, and a computer. By the age of seven, the average child will have spent a full year of 24-hour days watching screen media. Over the course of childhood, children spend more time watching TV than they do at school. Some of the kids are like, yes, that's not good. (laughs) By the age of 65, the average person will have spent 10 years glued to the tube. Step back and see where your time is going. What things are good things that stop you in your calling to lead yourself, to lead your family, to lead your ministry, to lead your church family? Perhaps some time out to clarify your priorities in life may be a really good idea right now. Change your routine. This is what Nehemiah does. He's very clear about it. First, he shows discernment. He knows this idea to go outside of the city is a bad one. He realizes it's an assassination attempt. Then he stays, secondly, very focused on his mission. And third, he practices this discipline of saying no. 
And listen, if we walk closely with Jesus, if we do the John 15, abiding in Christ, then your ability to discern what things are a diversion or a divine appointment become clearer. The closer you walk with him, you'll grow in self-confidence to keep the main thing the main thing. And you'll also have the courage to say no, the self-control to say no more often. So listen, if you're a distracted person, and there are many things in your life taking you away from the good things God has called you to, then it's time to review, it's time to stop, it's time to say no, it's time to look again. And you do that by coming closer to Jesus. So number one, diversion. Number two is disgrace. Verse five. Then the fifth time, Sambalat sent his assistant to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations And Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. Let me explain this. An open letter in these times would have been really, really dangerous. In those days, letters were sealed and closed. So if I wrote you a letter, I would seal it. It would be delivered to you and only you could break the seal and read it. An open letter would mean that wherever that letter goes, people can take the letter out and read it. It was public knowledge and gossip would spread. It would be a bit like these days just posting something exclusive on the internet. You know, I had a friend recently in politics running for MP and he was accused of something wrongly, but for that day he became the number one talked about person on social media that day. And it wasn't even true. And that's what it was like for Nehemiah. This open letter was dynamite. It was accusing him of treason. And in those times, being found guilty of treason only ended badly for you. So Nehemiah is in danger of being disgraced, smeared, discredited. And listen, any of you in your walk of life, if any of you have faced the threat of being discredited like this, you will know it's an incredibly tiring moment in your life. You know, in the early days of Mosaic, um, there was a, a person who had a bit of a grudge against Mosaic Church. And so one day they decided anonymously to call social services. And they called social services and said, Mosaic Church, uh, they punish their children by making them fast for long periods of time. So if any of the kids in Mosaic do anything wrong, they have to go without food. So social services have to respond to those sort of tip-offs and they called the church offices. No one answered. Somehow they worked out that I was one of the leaders and I had children. So they phoned my kids' school, uh, explained they were investigating stuff with kids and us and got our phone number. And so Friday uh, afternoon, phoned me and Pip up to say, social services, there's been accusation Uh, against you and your treatment of children, we're coming on Monday to interview your children and to investigate you. And so we, obviously, over the weekend, spent a very worried weekend having no idea what to do, no idea what was coming our way. And on the Monday they came, they interviewed me and Pip, 
we found out that it wasn't actually about us, it was about the church, but they still needed to interview the kids, and they asked the kids on their own how they found the church. Wonderfully, my daughter Izzy was quite young at the time when they said, what's the best thing about church? She said, we get to eat loads of biscuits. <laughs> I was like, God, given answer. Thanks, Izzy. <laughs> False accusations, they're stressful, stressful things. And so two comments. Number one, make sure you are not someone who looks for the worst in others. That look to disgrace or discredit people. Don't be naive, but think the best of people. Assume the good in others. Have you ever noticed that rumors regularly cite people of distinction as sources? That's what happens here in verse 6. And Geshem says it's true. Someone has said that gossip is news you have to hurry to tell somebody else before you find out it isn't true. And so don't be that person. And secondly, let's build a family here that's known for our encouragement and building up of others. Let's honor one another. I love it. I work in the church offices and I regularly see gifts and cards on people's desks that someone has anonymously sent them just to say thank you or to sort of say, I think God wants to say this to you. And I, I love it. And I love it when they share them with me. Um, I remember years ago, a wonderful moment on Saturday, our day off, opening the front door and someone had left a breakfast basket for our family so it was a big basket full of goodies you know how many of you here you know we all receive love in different ways how many of you here um your love language is receiving gifts wow not many Wow, you're, this is good because my hand up as well hands in the air like if you love receiving gifts hands in the air there we go can you look around Look to the front, and a great thing for us to embody, embrace as a church family is being a family of encouragement, and find out, you know, the people around you, find out their way of receiving love, and be good to them. Let's go in the opposite spirit to what we read about here. So what does Nehemiah do in response to this huge threat of disgrace? Verse 8, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. And they were all trying to frighten us. This is so real, isn't it? It's, it's, all, it's lies. And they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. He's resilient. He exposes the lie. He says, in effect, you're making it all up. And he knows that some people will think badly of him, but he stands his ground. And secondly, he exposes the motives. In effect, he's saying, you just don't like Christians. You don't like us worshipping God. You don't want us to build this church in the city. And you know what? That is our reality. Work colleagues, neighbors, school friends, even family will always think bad of you if you Stand up for what you believe in. You know, there'll be many of those that are brilliant with you, but there will always be some that will constantly sort of send digs your way. They'll be gossiping about you, look down on you. You'll be judged. You'll not be given opportunities. You'll be hated. And you need to see it for what it is. Jesus told us, didn't he? Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. But blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You're blessed. 
If you're persecuted in the room right now, you're blessed. There's grace for you. See it for what it is. It's the enemy trying to distract you. The more persecuting you're getting, persecution you're getting, it's classic. The more you're probably on track, the more you're doing the right thing. Now, how are you doing? You know, thirdly, Nehemiah does a wonderful thing and he just prays for strength. He understands that his maturity is all about dependence, not independence, but it's all about depending on the Father. He's aware of his frailties. And I'll ask you today, are you aware of your frailties? Like, do you just think you can breeze through this life as a Christian and not ask for help? You know, something I felt God speak to me about is that there's quite a few people in the room that are perfectionists. A perfectionist is someone that wants to get everything dead on right. And it's a massive distraction because you either have to got, you've either got to do things brilliantly or not at all. And you'll find yourself living in this weird world of giving everything, like 110%, and it destroys everything else in your life. Or you'll be like, I want to do it, but it's not going to be that great, so I think I'm going to leave it. The solution is to come to your senses, see that you're probably trying to be perfect for somebody else anyway, and acknowledge that God does not want you to be perfect. Only his son Jesus was perfect. He wants you to be dependent on him. Praying, now strengthen my hands. Some of you need to be prayed for today. Distractions are ruining your life and taking, away you, taking you away from your calling. So listen, listen, three types of distraction. We've got diversion, we've got disgrace. Thirdly, we're going to look at disobedience. The third distraction is probably the hardest to spot. Listen to how Nehemiah journals about it. He says in verse 10, One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabal, who was shut in at his home. He said, Let's meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let's close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they're coming to kill you. But I said, Should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. So Nehemiah gets a message from God. He gets a prophecy from a prophet who tells him to go to the temple and hide. And you know what's fascinating about this one? This distraction is so hard to see because it sounds like great advice. And it's probably the very thing that Nehemiah wants to do. I don't know about you, but I know in, like, when I feel the pressure, I want to hide. I want to nap. I want to eat fudge. I want to get into my bed. You know, that's what I want to do. I want to retreat. I want to go to a safe, comfortable place. And retreating, retreating to the safety and seclusion of the temple might have sounded perfect, but Nehemiah, he sees through it. You see, he's a businessman. If anything, he may even be a politician, but he's not a priest. And only priests were allowed in the temple. His enemies must have bribed Shemaiah to give him this bad advice. Nehemiah, instead, he wants to obey scripture. He wants to do what's right. He wants to honor God. He wants to live a godly life. He displays courage. He's not chicken. He's not running away in any shape or form. Should I be a man? Sorry, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. 
Listen, some distractions are just you being disobedient. The way to avoid them is to follow what God says. You know, are you taking the easy path? Are you taking the quick fix? Is there sin that looks enticing? Is there a boy or girl you should be avoiding right now? Is there stuff that you want to buy for your house that you should just say no to? Is there a house you're saving for that's just becoming like too big a thing? What is your distraction that is actually disobedience? You see, the devil loves it when we fall into sin because it's not just that we've been distracted, but we have to deal with the aftermath and the consequences of the sin. Many of us struggle for days, weeks with guilt or the brokenness in the relationship that our sin has caused or resentment in our hearts or unforgiveness or shame. Listen, are you being disobedient right now? Is that your biggest distraction if you're honest? Listen, I totally understand I'm asking a really hard thing right now. Because I'm asking you, some of you, to avoid stuff that has dogged you perhaps half of your life. You know, I'm trying to say, avoid these distractions and you'll find your destiny in God. It sounds simple, but I understand it is really, really hard. And if anything, it is impossible The only way we can live like Nehemiah is through putting our trust in one that is better than Nehemiah. And his name is Jesus. It's God's son. Like Nehemiah, he was given a mission, but not to rebuild walls around a city, but to rebuild the church. Like Nehemiah, he was falsely accused. He was told by the religious leaders to to give up and to stop doing God's work. And he was also led outside the walls of Jerusalem to be assassinated. But unlike Nehemiah, he knew the obedient thing was to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was killed by his enemies on a cross to save all of those that conspired against him and all of mankind. Jesus faces every distraction. Every distraction, diversion, disgrace, disobedience, head on and keeps true to the call on his life. And you know what we believe? If you're a Christian here today, by putting your trust fully in the person of Jesus, his victory becomes yours. So all the struggles that we have in this life can be overcome because he's defeated them. He's dealt with them. He's shown us a better way, a perfect way. And the more we are in him, the more we are who we really are in him, the more we walk away from the distractions that dog us. You know, this is crucial when we think about the mission God has given us as a church family. You know, a few weeks ago we saw that Nehemiah faced a dilemma. How do I fight against the people opposing me, but also how do I rebuild the walls? And we read in Nehemiah 4, verse 17, a great solution. He said, those who carried materials did their work with one hand, and they held a weapon in the other. They battled and they built. They had a sword and they had a spade. And God has called us in Mosaic here to build some walls. And we are joining with Jesus to see the walls of the church strengthened. And At the start of this series, and again, I just want to say to you, as a church, this is our life. This is what God has got us in right now.
We're in a season where we need to battle. We need to advance the kingdom, evangelism, mission, church planting, growth. But we're also at the same time just doing this balancing thing with building, securing up, building the church, caring for the poor, deepening our sense of friendship, investing, consolidating, training. And each gathering is slightly different. Each one is focusing on a few different aspects of that. Here in the north, we've given everything we've got in the last two years to the building side of things. We're holding the spade really tightly. We want to see deep community here. We started with a ton of people that didn't know each other that well. We feel the great sort of privilege of serving young people. We want to see them grow up and know Jesus. And we're also just embarking on what it means to serve the poor. But I tell you what, we're trying to start to use our sword hand as well. There is a battle that we face here in the north. We are, we are praying hard for our next baptism. Our last baptisms felt a long time ago and we're praying hard that God would lead us to this first baptism. In the south, um, the last two and a half years, I think I said to you guys, I feel like your spade hand is strong. There's an amazing sense of community in the south because many of you live so close to each other and have really invested in that way. But you know, the time is to battle for the South. Again, the sword hand is getting stronger. I feel like the South, are, like the heart to the lost and the broken and the South of Leeds is growing and deepening. There's a sense that people want to pray like never before. There's a sense which people are feeling God's heart for the people that are far from him. And at HH, um, it, when I shared about this, I felt that there was a, there was almost like, two big things going on. There was a whole group at Hyde Park Headingley that haven't yet stepped into building with us. There are often people that come just one in four, five, six weeks. They just like it, but are just enjoying it rather than investing in it. And we feel, I want to say to those guys, come on, hold the spade, come and get involved. But generally, there's also this massive other group that are battling hard in HH. We're starting to do more intros than we've ever done. Uh, it feels like they're God's honest to reach out and invite people into what we're doing. And you know what? As we are faithful with those things, I think we'll be amazed. You see, obedience over the long run, avoiding distractions, means God gets more glory. You know, five years ago, we just put it out there. We said, next five years in the Life of Mosaic Church, we want to do five church plants. And we just did the very simple things prayed that God would help us do it, in sending Larry and Leah, who will be dearly missed, it's our fourth church plant. And we've still got six months to go, and I've got a sneaky feeling we can sneak one more in in the next six months. But, you know, Holbeck's starting to meet now monthly uh, on a Sunday from autumn. Who would have thought we would have multiplied into three gatherings, four church plants, in five years, you know, that is crazy pace. But it's happened because hundreds of people have been faithful and have not got distracted. You know, I just want to ask you again, let's keep doing the simple things well. The basic building block of Mosaic Church is discipleship triplets, twos and threes. That's where friendship can go really deep. It's where we disciple one another. And it's where, I guess, we really see sort of a real sense of togetherness and unity. Then we've got our mission groups. We need to keep faithful in keeping them mission-focused. It's so easy to make them just about us, 
And we all love going to a great group with great food, great teaching, great worship, but they are mission groups. They exist to propel us into mission. And Sundays, let's keep coming on a Sunday. Let's keep faithful in focusing on expecting God to do a wonderful thing when we meet together. I'm praying for miracles. I'm praying for God to show up in powerful ways. I'm praying for people to invite their friends, more people to get saved. And it comes from people passionately pursuing the things God called them to. Do not neglect the area of leadership that is before you, yourself, your family, your ministry, your workplace, your university, your school. Practice saying yes to God's priorities. Let me pray for us. Do you want to stand to your feet? We're going to sing in a moment together, but um, my huge prayer for us is that God would highlight where we're distracted, where we need to refocus, where we need to say to yes to his priorities, and where we need to come to him in repentance, where we turn from what we're doing and we go his way. So just bow your heads with me, will you? Heavenly Father, thank you, you're good, you're perfect, and you know how to treat us as your children. And as sons and daughters, we just want to commit again to live in the life you've called us to live. I pray in the name of Jesus against distractions in our lives. The big things, the small things, the good things, the bad things, in the name of Jesus, be gone. We just shake them off. We just say no to them. And in its place, Lord, give us focus. Help us to walk with Jesus. Help us to make great decisions. Holy Spirit, come and do your work in us now, we pray. Amen.